When I conjure up images of love, there are the obvious examples. First kisses, curious glances from across a crowded room, teenagers holding hands in a park, a crying baby being held after being born, a sweet proposal, a beautiful tribute at a funeral, all of that jazz. But love and expressions of love, importantly, are complex and rely heavily on culture, gender, sexuality, time, place, and more. There is no right way to express human connection. And in these current trying times, we've really exhibited this. In a world absent of touch, there are suddenly new ways to relate to one another. New examples of digital intimacies, if you will, where people express their love over video calls and emojis. But across all of the differing denominators that made human love so unique and multifaceted are obvious and universal symbols of deep affection, of fondness, of sadness, of pride, of appreciation. And those symbols tend to be plants, be it flowers at weddings, funerals, graduations and birthing suites, or even more abstractly, things like carving a lover's initials into a tree, or a new age realm of funerals, where individuals opt to have their ashes turned into a seedling of sorts, to come back as a tree. Nature has always been there, and in this episode of All Things Green, we reflect on how plants have come to represent human connection, as we, as a society, consider all of the ways touch matters while experiencing an unprecedented global pandemic. Well, interestingly, uh, I, I guess a f- number of years ago now, um, our s- second son was uh, quite young at the time, and I was going on uh, nature walks with him a lot, just, you know, in kind of urban uh urban trails in the Seattle area and it was in the winter time here and it gets dark quite early and I had a flashlight just in case and we we were kind of on the trail and coming around a bend and uh, I had the flashlight out because it was twilight and the flashlight beam fell on this tree trunk and in literally right on the spot where a carving had what uh was that read, I love Leanne. The voice you just heard is Eric Johnson, a Seattle-based photographer and mixed-media artist who took a gorgeous collection of photographs of a variety of tree carvings he discovered throughout his travels. Inscriptions like, wish you were here, as well as scratchy love hearts with poorly etched initials and a handful of different symbols and drawings were documented by Eric, who found the confessions moving, confusing, elusive, and at times relatable. There's something deeply nostalgic about tree carvings and how trees have sported adolescent confessions and the occasional love notes since time immemorial about their presence in our seemingly fast-paced lives. Fell on this one, you know, little uh, phrase, I love Leanne. And it kind of stopped me dead on my tracks and and I looked at it and uh, and I immediately started thinking back, you know, the whole rest of the forest kind of disappeared. And I kept thinking about like, who's Leanne and who loved her and what, you know, and it reminded me of uh, this, that there was this moment that somebody had felt this way to the extent that they wanted to share it or, or um, mem- memorialize it in this fashion. And uh, so it got me obsessed it just stuck with me and then I started seeing them in different places and I, I would go out specifically in the day, at day to locate and just kind of uh, go to places that I thought I'd find these tree carvings which oftentimes were sort of urban parks or on the outskirts of a, a ravine by a high school um, 
or they, they were not like in the middle of remote woods. Oftentimes they're in kind of places where I kept imagining myself as a teenager kind of disappearing uh, and where I'd want to kind of record something. This is All Things Green, a conversation series brought to you by the Plant Society that shines a light on the people, places and politics behind the plants. I'm Madison Griffiths, and every fortnight we will explore our cultural relationship to the plants we know, love and care for. The tree carvings Eric Johnson describes are called arbiglyphs, and they've existed for many years. As detailed in an article written by Angharra Johnson in The Plant Hunter, who is the digitising officer at the Royal Botanic Gardens, arbiglyphs have showed up in a variety of cultures, ancient and contemporary. In Australia, the Gamilaroi and Wurundjeri peoples would carve imagery into ceremonial trees as a way to connect with ancestors, for example. Arbors derived from tree and glyph derivative um, to carve. Mm. Um, and I think I've also got lots of other names. Inscribing a living tree with symbols or words comes under the word arboglyph, but also people call it, you know, tree tattoos, tree graffiti, autograph trees, message trees, um, CMTs, which are called culturally modified trees, I think, in certain papers. Um, so, yeah, carving a tree, the living, a living tree um, with symbols and words is basically what it is, but they have been called other names. That's Anne Harrod Johnson, the author of the article Written in the Trees, The Roots of Arbiglyphs. What tree carvings can teach us about the state of the world today is something quite simple but poignant that sometimes even in a more contemporary era like the 21st century, where the way we communicate is vast and multifaceted and exists upon myriad platforms, be it the phone, social media and more, the act of engraving a dedication into the natural world, like a lover's initials into a tree, says something about our need to cement ourselves and the way we love and appreciate one another into history. Trees, like all plants, represent the sheer essence of life in much the same way love, devotion, and the experience of friendship does. And that's easy for me to say. But this sense of familiarity and representation is particularly significant for First Peoples, who have long understood trees to be individual members of the community, as Jacqueline Troy writes for in The Guardian, and I quote, not entities that exist in some biological separateness. Trees are part of our mob, part of our human world, and active members of our communities, with lives, loves and feelings. I, it, it was kind of a weird moment where I kind of re-engaged or reconnected with my own sort of teenage angsty period. And around that time, I found this carving, very big carving in a tree, uh, like big bold letters that said, the wild wolves around us, which I I, I immediately was like, what does that mean? And yeah. I did some search and um, it turns out it's a lyric from a song by um, Bon Iver, the uh, <laughs> uh, singer-songwriter. Yeah. And, uh, and around that same time, then I like I found one where somebody had carved the name The Smiths of oh, the band gosh. into a tree. And so I kept thinking about, it's, it's not only is it um, that angsty time of, of being a teenager, but that's also the time where, you know, nobody understands me but Morrissey. As Eric reflects on how photographing tree carvings reminded him of his own adolescence, his point about a teenager perhaps not feeling understood by, let's say, anyone but Morrissey, speaks to a larger truth about the messages beneath the photographs, 
the messages on the trees he stumbled across and why they were carved in the first place. If no one but a voice in a radio understands you, why turn to trees? Some kid or adult felt a feeling or a connection to a song or a person so intense that it demanded to be carved and honoured. In many ways, the natural world and the plants around us offer us just as much of a sense as does touch, sound, smell and more. And the presence of natural life is often as affecting. Perhaps this is because plants do a good job at tying the senses together. We use our senses to explore and make sense of the world around us, but our senses do more than just that. As Rebecca Rado wrote in her study of emotions and the brain, our emotional reactions can be guided by sensory information. The presence of flowers at a wedding or a funeral, for example, are likely chosen in virtue of how they look, which is sight, and the sort of aroma they emit, which is smell, but as well as the cultural dimension of what they represent. Depends on how you see it, really. Do you see it as a piece of art or do you see it as, you know, scribbles and graffiti on a tree? So that's what an artwork is for me. Mm. Um, and I guess I wrote the article because I was interested. I just saw some walking through a botanical garden on some bamboo, which technically isn't a tree, but, um, you know, it's got that beautiful glossy bark and the whole bamboo was just covered in all these scribbles and writing and just piqued my interest, really, as someone especially. I've never personally carved a tree myself, but I just thought, why do people do it? What, what makes people want to put that mark in the bark type thing and what drives them? So I started researching it and, um, you know, there's just so many reasons why people would do it and have done it over time. Mm. So I just got, it just piqued my interest and um, started writing about it. Um, and what do people, why do they do it? Well, I guess there's... Throughout history, there's so many reasons. There's practical reasons, um, you know, wayfinding, shelter, um, leaving messages for, especially if they're nomadic peoples or seasonal movement, leaving messages for people. That was that practical thing that went hand in hand with agriculture. Um, mm-hmm. It was writing and I guess art forms expanded as well and, and communication. That, that's when artworks sort of became prolific, I suppose, as well, expressing mm-hmm. feelings. Um, there's many, many reasons why people do it. I guess boredom, bragging, and I guess, yeah, this expression of love, you know, love as initials. But throughout time, you just see all these different reasons. Sometimes even wartime messages have been found, sort of secret messages scratched into trees or in medieval times um, to ward off evil spirits and things like that. So there's... Uh, but it's very broad and the reasons why they're, they're done are very broad as well. Yeah. Wow. Mm. I find that really, I, I find that the difference between utilising trees to send messages and utilising them to, to uh, you know, express a, a feeling, be it nostalgia or, or utilising them to symbolise something, really, really interesting. Um, mm. And I think, like, the, the more modern expressions of of love that you can see on um trees like inscriptions like wish you were here and scratchy love hearts and those sort of things i find yeah. those really moving and I, i'm not sure i'm not sure what it is about them that that's different to just any old sort of love note but there there is something quite poignant about seeing that on on a tree even more so than sort of in in um, cement or something like that it's so true and I think especially now when we can just text each other or 
Um, yeah. The trouble of still inscribing, you know, permanently um, this tree. And I think that comes back to ancient times when anywhere that humans have settled and across all cultures, that's what I find so interesting, is any place in this spatial and temporal scale that humans have, have always inscribed trees and, you know, um, uh, rocks and things. Well, obviously, trees only last for the living lifespan of the tree. But the fact that humans have gone out of the way to do this and it just shows that interaction really. Um, and I think especially across many cultures, trees are so sacred. Mm. It's that sim- symbolism, you know, it's that humans trying to work out their place in the world and there's trees are there with them, I guess, rooted in the earth and up to the heavens and it's that kind of symbolistic way of looking at trees. So that sort of goes hand in hand, I guess, with that um, you know, why do we do it? Why do we do it on a tree? Because it's that symbolism as well, I think. Yeah. Uh, yes, or just boredom because you're there and there's a tree there. And you might just <laughs> it's an inviting canvas, isn't it? There. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a really good um, leeway into my, my third question, actually, which did centre around trees in general and, and how trees compared to other plants sort of create this this interesting bond between us and the natural world and our lives. And, you know, I I was speaking to my mum about this episode and she mentioned that, um, she mentioned that new, I don't don't even want to call it trend. I don't know enough about it, but that, that new thing uh, where you, instead of once you, once you pass, instead of having ashes, you sort of get turned into a tree, so to speak. Uh, I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. I find it really really interesting. yeah yeah there's this sort of recycling of life and energy that that's that's going on there without sounding too hippie-esque um it does feel like there is something to be said there about you know trees creating this bond and i think also like i said before this i think our world is so macro now it's it's with that global outreach all the time all available Mm. Um, but going back to times when the world was so micro and people just had themselves and their community um, you know the natural landscape around them those messages were really so much part of that world yeah Um, we try and outreach as obviously people were moving around um, from different cultures they could they could share those messages and the shepherds in that story I was writing were the same because they knew that their friends would walk past and see the messages. So it's taking that micro world and trying to expand it out. Whereas now, we're just so so many messages everywhere, being bombarded all the time. Mm. Um, we're saying just seeing people do it in trees now is really interesting because they don't need to, but they do. It's just that um, something inherent in our nature sort of draws us to that. Absolutely. Those trees, you know, trees in the landscape is such a fixed bond. It's such a, um, a connection between us and, again, the cosmos, that ancient, um, you know, feeling, I suppose. Yeah, that's very true, that, that very cosmic kind of tree of life energy that we really project onto the natural world. And I guess... And again, I- that's in cultures, you know, that's in, so in the Europeans, the um, Indigenous Australian, North American... Before they were even, their world again was so enclosed, they didn't know each other existed, but they had the same um, cultural existence, I suppose, in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And I guess I just wanted to finish off with, with you know, given that we're, we're in this sort of really unprecedented time, um, I wanted to ask you if, if there's anything we can take from the plants that surround us or just gardens in general um, as points of advice about how to get through this period, even if it's just patience and nurture and, and all of those things. Well, absolutely. I think... Um... I think it's shown us, it's slowed us down in some ways. I think that's been great to see how, you know, you can compare how fast we've been living and it's forced us to take a little step back and just reassess where we are. And I think um, getting out into nature helps us do that anyway. I mean, I always try and do it my personal life pre-pandemic and even now, but I think it's just, it's great to connect that way and just get some fresh air and, um yeah, like you said, just ground that bit of grounding again. Mm. Probably to do before we, you know, we come out of this and um, go back into our old lives as we were, and say, well, actually, what has changed? What makes me feel better now? And yeah, just I think gardens and plants and being in nature helps us connect that way and just sort of look inside a bit more and, and take stock. So um, if you can carry on doing that afterwards, I think that's a good thing. It might be a good thing, really. Thank you for listening to the fifth episode of All Things Green, a conversation series brought to you by the Plant Society that shines a light on the people, places and politics behind the plants. I'm Madison Griffiths and every fortnight we will be exploring our cultural relationship to the plants we know, love and care for. I'd like to thank the rest of my wonderful team in-house, interstate and in print. During this time, everyone is doing their best and it has been a pleasure to see that spirit continuing on in our Plant Society family. If you have any suggestions or topics or queries that you'd like us to tackle in all things green, drop us a line on our socials. And thanks also to Eric Johnson and Anne Harrod Johnson for their contributions in this episode. Until next time.